0: Hello, all, um, and welcome to Medic Alert Live Healthy Hour. Um, today, our subject is heart disease and COVID nineteen Q and A with Dr. Ira Nash. Glad that you chose to join us today. For those of you who have joined us in the past, welcome back. Those of you who it's your first visit with us, we welcome you. Um, Our healthy hour we put into place a couple of months back, and it's a great series of informational events for our members and those who want to join us. Today, I'm your host, Melody Howard. I'm the Director of Community Alliances at MedAlert Foundation. And joining me as co-host today is Julie Hilton, our Vice President of Communications at MedAlert Foundation. Welcome, Julie. Hello, everyone. Today's agenda, we'll talk a little bit about MedAlert. Um, I'll share the medical alert a little bit of the medical history um, we will have the bulk of our time spent on the heart disease and COVID-19 with Dr. Ira Nash and we'll also share some resources for you. So a little bit about medical alert for those of you who don't know about medical alert. Um, we are the actually the original medical ID created in 1956. What's unique about our foundation, Medical Alert, is that we go beyond just an ID. Our IDs are backed by a 24-7 emergency response team who are standing by to relay your critical medical information to first responders. And Medical Alert is the only nonprofit organization in the medical ID space. And all of our revenues fund our emergency services and help provide IDs and memberships to people with financial need our mission is to save and protect lives by sharing vital information in our members moments of need so here's a little bit about how our service works you get an id bracelet with your most vital medical information for those of you with heart conditions this is so important to include that information because in an emergency paramedics and first responders need to know this information so that you're treated properly your medical id um, Keys first responders in to contact Medic alert. They call us on our 24-7 emergency response line, and our emergency response team provides them with your full health record. Your health record includes information such as health data and emergency contacts, which we relay to those emergency personnel who are calling. Um, we've trained first responders to look for your Medical Alert ID, empowering them with vital information. Now, more than ever, given this current pandemic, it's so important for first responders to know about existing conditions so that you get the best possible care. Medic Alert is your voice when you need us most.
1: I think, Melody, I would add to that um, something that came, we've uh, rolled out recently is a partnership with Rapid SOS and the 911 centers in the US, uh, where uh, a Medic Alert member. Uh, if someone calls in from a number associated with their profile, we're able to send their medical information uh, to first responders before they even arrive on the scene via the partnership with Rapid SOS. So, um, while Medical Alert's been around since 1956, we're continually evolving to try to deliver more and better services for our members.
0: Great, thank you for that point. Very valid, Julie um so today i want to talk to you a little bit about our guest speaker dr ira nash welcome dr nash um dr nash is the senior vice president and executive director of northwell health physician partners and professor in departments of cardiology occupational medicine epidemiology and prevention at the donald and barbara school of medicine at hofstra northwell After graduating from Harvard College, Dr. Nash received his MD degree from the Harvard MIT program in health sciences and technology at Harvard Medical School. He is board certified in internal medicine and cardiovascular diseases, and was a member of the cardiac unit at the Massachusetts General Hospital and the faculty of Harvard Medical School. He moved to Mount Sinai, New York in 1995, and held a number of senior positions. He was named the chief medical officer of Mount Sinai in 2009, a position he held until moving to Northwell Health in 2012. Dr. Nash is a fellow of the American College of Cardiology, the American Heart Association, and the American College of Physicians. He's a former national spokesman for the American Heart Association. In 2015, he was awarded the first National Physician of the Year Award by Press Ganey for his leadership in improving the patient experience. He is passionate about the need for effective physician leadership and about engaging patients through transparency and data sharing. He keeps a blog and addresses contemporary issues of medical practice and health policy. Dr. Nash is also the on-air host of Well Said by Dr. Ira Nash, an award-winning health and wellness radio show and podcast produced in association with WRHU, Radio Hofstra University. In addition to his professional responsibilities, Dr. Nash served his country as a commander in the Medical Corps of the United States Navy Reserve. He is married and has two daughters. Welcome, Dr. Nash. Thanks so much.
1: We're very grateful to have you with us today.
0: Very grateful. So now um, we'll get to the the meat of our presentation here. Um, Thank you so much for all the great questions. We had so many great questions and so we'll try to cover as many as we possibly can. Um, We're gonna answer some questions in some different categories. um, Cardiovascular, heart diseases, and how COVID impacts that. Um, Some different conditions and and how those impact the risk of COVID. Congenital disease, We had a lot of questions around arrhythmias, different types of arrhythmias. So we'll spend some time covering that, Um, COVID outcomes. And then the question we all have is about staying safe. So we will kick those questions off. So this question in um, in the cardiovascular and COVID category, Dr. Nash, are people with heart disease more likely to get COVID? And what does it mean when people say cardiovascular disease is a risk factor?
2: Uh, Well, first of all, uh, thank you very much for having me this afternoon, and I'm delighted to be here and uh, uh, hope to share a little bit of insight with you and and our listeners uh, about uh, COVID-19 and and heart disease. Um, So I think this is actually a great question to to start off the afternoon. And um, uh, before I even get to that, I want to make a couple of general statements that I think will stand us in good stead as we go through the rest of these questions and the first is there's still a lot we don't know about COVID-19 um and despite the fact that uh over a million people in the United States have probably been uh in, infected and we've had a hundred thousand deaths um there's still much to be uh, learned and and we're still coming to grips with all of the different aspects uh, of this disease. But one thing I, I can say with assurance, which is that most people who get COVID-19 uh, are going to do just fine, and, so, uh, and and will recover completely. And many of those patients or individuals uh, may not even know that they've been infected. And so while I'm happy to share information about the more serious aspects of this, I want to make sure the broader context of, of this is understood that, um, again, most people who get COVID-19 are gonna do just fine. Uh, but there is a, a, a certain percentage of people for whom this can be a very serious illness uh, and obviously uh, can, be, can be fatal. And so it's important for all of us to do our bit uh, to help prevent the spread of this. Um, so with the first question here, are, more people with heart, are people with heart disease more likely to get COVID? The answer to that as best we can tell is no. Uh, so the the risk when we say that cardiovascular disease is a risk factor, what we're really saying is it doesn't make you more likely to get it. What it does do is make it more likely that uh, you'll be in that group of individuals who may get into trouble with it once you get it. All right? So it's not a question of susceptibility to infection. It's really a matter of how well you can cope with the illness itself. And so that's what's meant by, uh, cardiovascular disease being a risk factor. It's a risk factor for a worse outcome once you get the disease. And I'm sure the questions that, that come up will allow us to talk in more detail about what kinds of cardiovascular disease and, and what kind of outcomes. But, but I think that's probably all I want to say about this question right now. Great.
0: Thank you. Um, Also, this question I found pretty interesting and I wanted to share it because I I really like the way that it was written because it talks about things in in terms that we can all understand. Um, Heart disease is a broad category with many different issues, plumbing, electrical, et cetera. Is one type of heart disease worse than others when dealing with COVID?
2: Yeah, so first of all, to to Mark and Sandy, I really like that uh, kind of metaphor for, for heart disease as well. And I often talk to my patients about uh, taking the heart as a house and talking about the plumbing in the house and the wiring in the house and the walls of the house. So I think you're spot on in terms of thinking about heart disease in these broad categories. Um, And I think your question is also uh, a very good one because it's not all the same. uh, And uh, it's really not appropriate in that sense to just lump all heart disease together and say that uh, it, it's uh, it, it, it's you're you're going to get into trouble with COVID-19 if you have pre-existing heart disease. What I would say is um, that the things that uh, put people with heart disease at risk uh, once they develop COVID-19 are the things that that impair people's um, functional capacity or ability to deal with stress. So. Uh, what do I mean by that? So um, uh, if if you think about people who may already have uh, difficulty breathing or may already have uh, problems with their ability to uh, do uh, activities of daily living or to exert themselves in some way, all illnesses uh, uh, create an additional stress on the cardiovascular system. So COVID is no different in that regard than getting any other kind of illness. So uh, in the sense that it it makes your heart go faster, and it makes uh, your, your cardiovascular system need to work harder to deal with the physiologic stress of having a systemic viral illness. So I would say, uh, although this is a great way to lump different, or to, to, to kind of categorize different kinds of heart disease, I think we're better off thinking about people's functional status uh, and, and their, their, their ability to um, uh, withstand uh, a stressor than we are uh, necessarily understanding that in terms of is it really an electrical problem or a, or a plumbing problem. It, it, it's really not
0: great thank you so our next question um, submitted we had a n- number of people who submitted the same question is there a special or different risk for people who have stents
2: yeah so i'm sure that's uh, on the mind of many people with uh with heart disease and just as a reminder for those who may not know what we're talking about here so uh, stents are a small uh metal Uh, tubes. They look like a little rolled up uh, chain link fence that are inserted into people's uh, coronary arteries to help treat uh, coronary blockages. Um, And uh, they're very prevalent. Lots of people have had this procedure done either to relieve symptoms or in the midst of having a heart attack. And I would say here again, the issue is not so much do you have a stent or do you not. The issue is that by definition, everybody with a stent has underlying coronary heart disease. They have some blockages in their coronary arteries. There are people who are more likely uh, who are more likely to have had a heart attack, which may have left them with some weakened heart muscle. So it's not the stent itself that provides a, a special or a different risk. It's the underlying coronary artery disease that may make it more difficult for somebody to deal with the additional stress of having a serious and systemic uh, illness like COVID-19. There's there's another aspect of this that I'm sure we'll get into about uh, blood thinners uh, because a lot of people on stents uh, who have stents are on blood thinners at least for the first few months and I'm sure that'll come out in in subsequent questions.
0: You're right about that. It's coming up a little bit later.
2: I, I, so, uh, our next question,
0: submitted by a number of folks, um, does having a valve replacement put me at higher risk for complications from COVID-19?
2: Yeah, also uh, a really um, good question. Uh, let me just uh, click through this. Um, and and uh, best we can tell the answer is no, and I'm I'm just going to qualify that a little bit because there are some people who have some kinds of heart valves where they may be on blood thinners, and so we're gonna get back into that blood thinner question again. But in general, the answer to this is no, uh, that a valve replacement in and of itself is not uh, something that either makes it more likely that you would get COVID in the first place, or that you would do worse with it uh, if you are uh, somebody who who gets the infection. What's more important is what's the, um, how good is your, Uh, is your heart muscle function. So a lot of people who have valve replacements uh, have them in the context of having some weakening of the heart muscle, and it's that weakening of the heart muscle that may limit their capacity to deal with the stress of illness, but the valve replacement itself is, is not the issue.
0: Thank you. So our next question also comes under the same category, conditions and risk, um, submitted by Ben Joseph and and a few others. Um, What's the added risk for me, recently diagnosed with congestive heart failure, and does the stage of CHF matter?
2: Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the stages of heart failure. So uh, uh, the American Heart Association and and other organizations uh, have, helped uh, cardiologists and and patients and other physicians uh, understand heart failure by categorizing it into into different stages. And uh, those stages are based on how symptomatic somebody is and how impaired the heart muscle function is. And those are important because uh, different treatments are appropriate at different levels of uh, either uh, heart muscle impairment or or patient symptoms, and so categorizing heart failure in that way helps signal to patients and doctors what the appropriate treatments are uh, at each stage along the way. So so the the stage of heart failure does matter, but it matters more in terms of making sure that the patient with heart failure is on the right treatment, um, and uh, and there's nothing that is uh, more important in terms of the prognosis of patients with heart failure, whether they have COVID or whether they don't, than to make sure that you're on the right combination of medications and other interventions for heart failure, um, given the stage that you're at. Now, uh, does heart failure pose an added risk for somebody who Uh, gets COVID-19. I'm going to go back to what I said before. Yes, it does in that um, the stress of having a serious uh, systemic illness is borne less well by people who already have a a cardiovascular system that is challenged uh, uh, about dealing with, with stress. So people with congestive heart failure may already be a little short of breath they may already have some impairment of uh, oxygen levels uh, in their blood. And so if that takes a hit because of the way COVID-19 affects uh, their lungs or other organ systems, then they could get into trouble more rapidly than, than other individuals. And again, it just makes the point that it's really important for people with heart failure to be on the right medications. And those medications ought to be continued uh, and closely monitored if if a heart failure patient gets COVID nineteen.
0: I'm sure that you know as someone's having their shortness of breath because of their condition already, and then with COVID being out there, questioning even further: is this COVID? Is this? I'm having a normal reaction to my condition. Well,
2: right. So, so you're absolutely right. It it, it also poses a diagnostic challenge, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and that's true of. Uh, lots of other things that cause people to be short of breath. So, you know, uh, this is something that cardiologists deal with on an everyday basis. Shortness of breath is a symptom for a million different diseases, heart failure being one of them. And so one of the things that uh, your doctor, or your cardiologist is um, uh, skilled at doing is asking the right questions and doing the right tests. And and examinations to sort that out. But you're absolutely right, it, it can cloud the diagnostic picture as well.
0: Thank you. So this question, um, I have a pacemaker, what does that mean for my risk in relation to COVID-19?
2: Well, the good news there is probably nothing. Uh, so um, uh, pacemakers uh, are uh, devices that uh, are, are put into place to help regulate the the rhythm of the heart, and generally speaking, uh, that has very little to do with, uh, it's got nothing to do with susceptibility to getting COVID-19 and probably has nothing to do with um, the a risk of having a bad course if, if you do get it.
0: Great, thank you. Um, so our next question is related to hypertension. Is hypertension a risk factor? and what about pulmonary hypertension?
2: Yeah, so uh, so first of all, let's uh, distinguish um, hypertension or high blood pressure from pulmonary hypertension. So uh, uh, hypertension is uh, the the term that the uh, medical professionals use to re- uh, refer to high uh, blood pressure uh, and and that 's in your systemic or uh, or arterial circulation so that 's what the doctor checks when uh, when you get a, a cuff on the arm and and you can check your blood pressure at home with home devices as well. Pulmonary hypertension refers to an abnormal elevation of the pressure in the circuit uh, between the right side of the heart and the lungs um, and there are a whole host of Diseases that can lead to elevation of pressure in that uh, in that right-sided circuit, um, and they're quite separate and distinct from the, um, uh, the the more kind of common run-of-the-mill high blood pressure that we call hypertension. So two very different things. Um, And the hypertension question is really interesting. Uh, Many early reports coming out of China and and subsequent reports coming out of early experience in the United States suggested that hypertension was a risk factor for worse outcome with COVID-19. As as this has been teased apart a little bit more, it's not entirely clear that that is uh, not just an artifact of the fact that as people get older, hypertension becomes more prevalent, and age seems to be a um, a factor in doing worse with uh, with with COVID-19. There's nothing in the medical literature that really explains why uh, high blood pressure itself should lead to uh, to a worse outcome. And again, that's absent some other consequence of having high blood pressure. So we know that high blood pressure can lead to heart attacks and can lead to other kinds of things that may impair an individual's ability to deal with stress or, or to uh, fully oxygenate the blood. And, and so that's a separate thing, but but high blood pressure itself, it's really not clear why that should be a factor. And, um, and it's not honestly clear that it is a factor and not just an artifact of uh, the prevalence of hypertension in our community and the fact that the prevalence of hypertension increases with age. Pulmonary hypertension is a separate thing altogether because one of the things that is a hallmark of pulmonary hypertension is uh, stress on the right side of the heart. Um, and in the more serious uh, forms of pulmonary hypertension, an inability to um, fully Uh, blood going through the lungs. Um, And so any disease that has a a profound effect on the lungs, like COVID-19, could be particularly dangerous for people with pulmonary hypertension.
1: Well going back to your first point around uh, the prevalence of hypertension, I believe according to the American Heart Association there's over hundred million people in the U.S that right. have hypertension. Um, and would it matter whether that hypertension was well controlled or uncontrolled?
2: Yes, so that's a really good uh, distinction to be made. Um, and, and yes, it does. So hypertension that is well controlled uh, is much less likely to lead to those secondary consequences that would impair somebody's ability to successfully uh, uh, combat uh, COVID-19 uh, and so here again, the same theme that uh, with all forms of heart disease, it's important that uh, the, the the condition be uh, brought under control with the best medical treatment, and that that treatment be continued during whatever illness uh, or or exposure somebody might have to COVID nineteen. So uh, I hope that answers what you were.
1: Yeah, it does. I, I think it's just now is not the time for people to let their guard down Absolutely. On some of these chronic conditions.
2: Right.
0: So our next question, um, also in conditions and risk, does having cardiomyopathy or myocarditis put me at greater risk?
2: Yeah. And so again, I, I, this is a great question, Ingrid, and I'm I'm going to uh, start by just distinguishing those two things. So, uh, So cardiomyopathy is a broad term that just means that Uh, The heart muscle itself uh, is not functioning normally. So if we go back to the house that we were talking about before, now we're talking about the the walls of the house, not the plumbing, not the electrical system. Um, Myocarditis is a particular uh, condition where there's inflammation within the heart muscle uh, itself. Um, So let's take these one at a time. So cardiomyopathy um, often leads to, or certain kinds of cardiomyopathy can lead to weakness of the heart muscle, and that can impair somebody's ability to uh, deal with uh, a physiologic stress. And so uh, in that way, we could connect those two dots and say, if you have a significant cardiomyopathy that has left you with impaired Uh, heart muscle function, then yes, that that would put you in a higher risk uh, category for somebody who might not do as well with COVID-19. Myocarditis, as I said, is um, a particular uh, circumstance where there's inflammation within the heart muscle itself. And that's really interesting because there have been very well-documented case reports where COVID-19 can cause myocarditis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, it it uh, I'm I'm not sure if that was the intent of this question, but um, uh, if you I, I, myocarditis is kind of a rare entity, so I, I I can't imagine there are too many people who have myocarditis and then have the severe misfortune of getting COVID nineteen on top of that but it is true that myocarditis is a a potential complication uh, of COVID-19, and it's not entirely clear whether that's a direct viral infection of the heart, which can happen, or whether it's a result of the intense inflammatory reaction that occurs in response to a COVID-19 infection. But but that is a grave complication of COVID-19.
0: Thank you So next question submitted. We had a few submitters. Um, Vivian, Jeanette, and Sam. What are the risks for people who have heart disease along with kidney, um, diabetes, kidney disease, autoimmune disorder, or other chronic conditions? I think you started to hit on this, but this is a great question.
2: Yeah, and it is a good question because it makes the point that um, a lot of folks have multiple chronic conditions and uh, and and you've uh, lumped a few here that are frequent sort of co-travelers. Um, it is often the case that uh, people have uh, heart disease with diabetes because diabetes is such a profound uh, risk factor for developing uh, coronary artery disease and subsequent um, uh, heart failure. We know that high blood pressure cause kidney disease and heart disease. And so those two things go together. Uh, aging uh, makes all of these diseases more prevalent. So the, the bottom line is it's not uncommon for somebody to to have a combination of diabetes, heart disease, kidney disease, and so on. Um, and, and I would say that um, as, I, and this is going to be, I, I, I'm starting to sound like a broken record to myself, but but I think that the the issue here is uh, is kind of a general tolerance uh, in the physiologic sense of dealing with stress. So if you have limited what we call cardiovascular reserve, you don't have the ability to um, increase your heart rate without putting undue stress on your heart. You don't have the ability to pump more blood around without placing undue stress on your heart. Um, then that's going to put you at a higher risk of, of um, uh, having getting into trouble with, uh, with, with COVID-19. It is a major physiologic stress. And the more of these other conditions that you pile on, uh, kidney disease, diabetes, and so on, the worse that is. I said before that uh, COVID-19 or the coronavirus that causes it can directly affect uh, the heart well, it can directly affect the kidneys too um, and that same intense inflammatory reaction that it provokes in people who are infected can also impair kidney function, can also uh, make um, the your, your diabetes go out of control, can also impair your heart muscle function so it's it it's kind of a um, the more things. Uh, the the more ways in which your uh, organ systems are vulnerable, the more likely anyone is to get into trouble, either directly from the, um, uh, the virus or uh, through the uh, intense inflammatory reaction.
1: I think when you're talking about comorbidities, we had a really great session a couple of weeks ago about diabetes and COVID-19. And one of the things that uh, Dr. Perfetti mentioned is that um, the things that seem most highly correlated in terms of bad outcomes consistently were age and obesity, and you know those are tend to be things that are comorbid sometimes with diabetes and
2: sometimes with heart disease. So yes, I'm glad you brought up the obesity, um, and and we talked about age, um, and uh, th- there there's probably some deep connection that that still needs to be sorted out uh, between. Uh, the, the inflammatory uh, reaction to this disease uh, and the damage that it causes and uh, the fact that inflammation is a, um, uh, a profound part of uh, a lot of these other chronic conditions. Um, and so um, uh, th- th- there's, a, there's a connection there that we're just now starting to understand or, or tease apart.
0: Learning more every day. Exactly. For sure. So now this next question has to do with congenital uh, disease. My child has congenital heart disease. Does this make her high risk for COVID-19 complications?
2: Well, first, uh, sorry to hear that your child has uh, congenital heart disease. Um, but again, that's, that's a very broad uh, category. So it includes uh, people who have um, you know, minor, uh, uh, like a a small connection between the two upper chambers of the heart that, that, uh, they can live with without difficulty their entire lives or, uh, people who have major, um, kind of abnormalities of how the, the, the heart chambers are arranged and and the arteries are connected and so on and so forth. So, um, uh, I think this is, uh, yet again, uh, a, a question of um, uh, functional status. And, um, and so I would say somebody who's had a repair of a congenital anomaly and has normal uh, heart muscle function and uh, has normal exercise capacity, then I, I wouldn't uh, imagine that that child has any more to fear from getting COVID than anybody else uh People who have complex congenital heart disease may have uh particularly uh, individuals who have uh, cyanotic heart disease meaning they they don 't fully oxygenate uh, they, they don 't have fully oxygenated blood circulating in their systemic circulation. those people would be at at higher risk because they have just a a much narrower margin of of safety uh and um Uh, especially if it involves um, uh, the, the pulmonary circulation, as we talked about before.
1: So again, it's a continuum based on function from the starting point.
0: So now we're on to the questions about arrhythmias. Um, Many of those today. Uh, What impact does AFib have on my risk for complications with COVID? And I have AFib, and if I contracted COVID-19, how will it affect my heart rate?
2: Yeah, so um, uh, I'm going to make a comment before I try to answer the question. So so for people, uh, there's probably a distinction to be drawn here between People who have atrial fibrillation chronically, meaning they're in it all the time, and people who have what we call paroxysmal atrial fibrillation, people who go in and out of atrial fibrillation. Mm -hmm. So so, um, for people who have paroxysmal atrial fibrillation, any kind of stress uh, or just a fever can bring on uh, an episode of atrial fibrillation. So for folks like that, uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all uh, to to hear that that people are more likely to have if they have a history of atrial fibrillation that they're more likely to have an episode if they get sick with COVID19 just as they might if they got sick with bacterial pneumonia or, or a kidney stone you know it, it's not a specific reaction mm-hmm. um, The afib itself though is, is not a risk factor for worse outcomes. Uh, And again, if you're on the right medications and your heart rate is being appropriately controlled um, and you're on uh, appropriate um, uh, prophylaxis for blood clots that are often associated with with atrial fibrillation, then the AFib itself is is probably a a non-contributor to to your risk. Uh, For the second question, if I contract COVID, how will it affect my heart rate, I would say just as um, uh, your heart rate will normally respond to to stress, this is a stress, like running up a flight of stairs, except you're doing it, you know, continuously, Um, or just the way that having a fever in general uh, can can cause um, uh, an, an increase in heart rate
0: certainly makes sense why when you're sick, your heart rate rate increases and you're exhausted. So I-
2: Yeah, you know, actually I'm glad you brought that up because it goes back to the the myocarditis question a little bit. You know, um, it's often the case when people get even a a mild uh, viral illness that um, they they feel kind of draggy and short of breath and uh, weak and tired. And uh, for a certain percentage of those people, it's probably because their uh, heart function has deteriorated transiently as a result of the viral infection. And we don't routinely do echocardiograms or assess people's heart muscle function when they have a viral illness. But when this has been looked at systematically, there's a pretty significant incidence of uh, depressed left ventricular function that, that is... Uh, a a decline in the ability of the heart to pump blood just from the -the run-of-the-mill kind of viral infections that might lay you low with a with a a winter cold Um, and and this is just a, a much more profound version of that but it's not unusual in the greater scheme of things for viral illnesses to do this.
0: Thank you. So the next question also on arrhythmias, do SVT, supraventricular tachycardia, and PVC, premature ventricular contraction problems, increase my risk? I have had four heart ablations.
2: Yeah, and I, and I would say uh, no with a little asterisk. So uh, again, uh, if, if you're the kind of person who has some um, uh, uh, stress trigger for your uh, arrhythmia, so increased... Um, uh, catecholamines, the things that uh, produce the increase in heart rate and an increase in blood pressure that comes with uh, uh, dealing with stress, um, then that can at least theoretically trigger an arrhythmia. Um, but the arrhythmia itself is not a risk factor for having a worse outcome with, uh, with COVID-19 unless you have the heart rhythm problem because you have some other problem with your heart like heart failure or uh, impaired left ventricular function that, that can lead in, in some cases to PVCs or, or ventricular arrhythmias. So, um, so just to clarify, the, the arrhythmias themselves are not the problem. Um, the stress may trigger uh, a, a paroxysmal uh, arrhythmia, but it's really the underlying heart condition that, that's driving the bus here.
0: Thank you. So our next questions um, relate to COVID outcomes. Um, Does the virus attack the heart or is the heart at risk from the effects of the virus on other organs and what specific effects have been observed in heart patients with COVID?
2: Yeah, so a great question. We've talked about this a little bit already. So um, I I would say um, uh, that the virus can attack the heart um, so it doesn't uh, necessarily routinely uh, attack the heart, and um, uh, and the heart is also susceptible in important ways to the effect of the virus more systemically. So for instance, uh, if your lungs fill with fluid because your uh, lungs are being attacked with COVID-19, then that may make it much harder for the heart to pump blood through the lungs, and, uh, and you can develop um, uh, a syndrome of, of heart failure on the right side of the heart uh, because the lungs are in such bad shape. Um, and the inflammatory response, that is the body's reaction to this infection can uh, adversely uh, affect uh, the heart um, uh, directly, meaning uh, intense inflammation can impair uh, heart muscle function. Um, and then the third way that uh, it, that, that sort of indirectly connects uh, COVID-19 and the heart is that we've come to learn that uh, COVID-19 can dramatically increase the risk of blood clotting. Um, and uh, that can happen either in very tiny little uh, blood vessels that um, Uh, get uh, sort of clogged up and impair the ability of the heart to function. Because remember, the heart is a muscle like any other, well, not like any other muscle, but it is (laughs) a muscle. Um, And so it needs its own blood supply, and if that blood supply is interrupted, then the heart can't do its job. Um, And there are also reports of uh, blood clots in large arteries um, and uh, blood clots in veins. Um, and the indirect effects of those, maybe we'll, we'll have a specific question on that coming up, um, uh, can certainly have profound effects on, on, um, people's, uh, cardiac function as well.
1: That does tie directly to our next question,
0: actually. Perfect. Let's roll right into that. Okay. Do
2: anticoagulation
0: medicines decrease your chance of complications from COVID-19?
2: Yeah, so I want to be careful in how I answer this. So um, uh, it, I, I don't want anybody to go out there and start taking anticoagulants if they don't need them, all right? Because they're they're uh, drugs with serious side effects of their own, and so nobody should be, uh, you know, trying to stock up on uh, blood thinners. Uh, as, as a way to improve their chances of um, uh, getting through a COVID uh, infection. On the other hand, it is true that people who are, particularly people who are hospitalized and, uh, and, and pretty sick with COVID have a very high frequency of blood clots both in arteries and in veins. And part of the in-hospital treatment for patients with serious COVID-19 is anticoagulation. Um, And that's to prevent blood clots uh, and prevent the complications of blood clots. And many of those patients uh, should probably be continued on anticoagulation for a period of time after they go home. We know from other illnesses that if you are hospitalized with a wide range of different medical illnesses, uh, that that also increases your risk of, of blood clots. And, and it's been standard medical practice for a long time to give blood thinners to hospitalized patients across a very large number of different diagnoses. What we're finding in COVID is that it's even more important to do that and that, that protection needs to be extended outside the hospital once people recover and go home.
0: Got it. So our next question, do beta blockers or ACE inhibitors reduce the risk of death from COVID-19?
2: Um, not directly, um, but uh, if you need these medications for the underlying reason for which they've been prescribed, then it's important to continue to take them. And in, in that sense, you know, withdrawing medications that you would otherwise need is a bad idea. Uh, it's a bad idea in general, and it's a worse idea if you're sick with another illness. And so, um, you know, if you're on a beta blocker for a good reason, or you're on an ACE inhibitor for high blood pressure, uh, by and large, those medications should be continued uh, during your, your treatment for COVID-19.
1: I think we've already answered the next question then, Melody. We can probably move to the one following.
0: Perfect. So um, also on COVID outcomes, this question submitted by Candace, how does the use of hydroxychloroquine um, to treat COVID-19 affect heart patients?
2: Uh, Well, so first we should say that there's no good reason to use hydroxychloroquine to treat COVID-19. So there's no uh, high quality evidence that suggests that this is effective in any way either as a prophylactic agent or as a treatment. Um, and so um, uh, let, let's start with that. Um, and uh, there are some data to suggest that it actually leads to worse outcomes. And that's because it does have a potential effect on the heart and that is that it can provoke a certain heart arrhythmias Uh, in in susceptible individuals. So so no good reason to take it and a potential uh, life-threatening complication if you do. Um, So um, uh, not a good idea.
1: Thank you for making that so clear. There's been so much uh, noise around this.
2: Yes, sadly, uh, noise is the right word uh, to describe some of what we've been hearing about this. Okay, sure.
0: So our next question, um, we had a number of folks submit these questions. I recently recovered from COVID and have a family history of heart disease. Should I see a cardiologist to assess any impact to my heart health? And can COVID-19 cause heart damage or disease in an otherwise healthy patient?
2: Um, So the answer to the second one, we've already talked about a little bit. So yes, in rare instances, people who have a perfectly normal heart can have profound uh, impact on their heart from uh, a severe case of COVID-19. That said, if you have had COVID-19 and and recovered, um, and you're feeling well, I don't think there's any particular reason to suspect that you've had uh, a significant impact on, on your heart. And so I, I would actually say, uh, seeing a cardiologist would be low on my list of important things to do uh, following uh, recovery.
1: I would think for most people, as you said earlier, um, their symptoms are gonna be fairly mild. They're gonna get through this without a lot of impacts. Absolutely. That it, it's not, it might be different if someone was hospitalized or on a ventilator and
2: you know, maybe had yeah. some other. Yeah, and, and Julie, thank, thank you for reinforcing that. And, and you know, we've been talking about uh, generally, all of the things that I've been saying have been really relative, uh, r- relatively rare events, right? We know from population studies that a significant percentage of individuals who get COVID don't even know that they've had it, um, and, a, and, and the vast majority of people who, uh, who have it uh, and know they have it are not sick enough to go into the hospital, so um, you know the, the people who are sick enough to go into the hospital are the ones who are really the ones who are are um, the ones who get into trouble and, and have some of these complications and situations that we've been uh, spending most of our time this afternoon talking about. Right, and and luckily for
1: most of us, those are the outliers.
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: So our next question related to staying safe. Um, with states reopening because of lower infection rates, how should people with heart disease remain vigilant? When and how is it safe to come out of quarantine?
2: Well, so uh, here I, I would, um, I'm going to answer this more from a, a public health perspective than from an individual perspective um, because the we are all dependent on each other's behavior here to prevent the spread uh, of this illness. Um, And so I would say, I I would like to kind of reframe this question a a little bit and, and, and think about it in terms of what the general population needs to do so that people with heart disease and other people at high risk are not put in, Uh, a situation where their lives are in danger. And that's really what we're talking about here. So it shouldn't be uh, the the burden borne only by the elderly or people at risk. We all have a part to play um, in in preventing the the spread of this illness. And so I would say that the things that we should be doing are uh, wearing a mask when you're out in public. And just to make the point, the mask is not to protect you. The mask is to protect the people around you. All right. So um, uh, it 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 uh, it affords a little bit of protection for the person wearing the mask, but the the, the 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 bigger effect is that it prevents the spread from somebody who might be infectious and doesn't know it. Um, and we should be keeping our distance now with the prevalence going down in some communities, uh, I, I'm talking to you from New York, which was the, the, the hardest hit uh, uh, state, and, and I'm in a place where we saw the, the, the greatest concentration of, of COVID-19, but, but we're starting to relax some of the restrictions because the prevalence of the disease is going down, because many fewer patients are being hospitalized, because, uh, it, it seems to be we seem to be over the major hump in in our community. Um, that's not true everywhere, and so this is a very local uh, kind of uh, phenomenon. So I would say, you know, this is the job of local public health health officials. It's the job of mayors and governors and county executives to figure out what's going on in your city, state. County, region, um, and uh, it, it concerns me quite a bit that I see, you know, the the data for uh, for Texas or Florida or Arizona, uh, uh, Georgia, California. These Georgia. are places that are not following the the curve that New York is on. New York, I'm happy to say, is is declining sharply. It's going up in Florida, it's going up in Texas, it's going up in Georgia. And I, I think it's, it's quite worrisome that at the same time that uh, rates are increasing, that there seems to be this magical thinking that it's okay to go outside and, and take your mask off and, and gather in large groups. I think we're gonna get into trouble from that.
1: I, I guess related to this is, um, I hear a lot of talk about a second wave.
2: Yes. What does that look like? Well, um, so uh, your guess is as good as mine. Um, <laughs> and, and the truth is nobody really knows. But but um, I think there are a couple of different patterns that people have forecast as possible for, let's say, through the end of the year. Because beyond that, God only knows what, what's going to come our way. But, but I think it could be uh, what you described as a second wave, meaning we... We relax the, the lockdown that many of us have been living under. We, uh, the, 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 the virus um, takes advantage of that and, and rates uh, take off again and we get a huge uh, spike. Um, it's also possible that um, it'll, it'll reach some sort of steady state plateau where there's a lot of this in our communities, but it's not overwhelming the medical system. Um, but that's also, remember, that means a lot of people getting sick, a lot of people dying. Um, you know, that's not a that's not necessarily a pretty sight. Um, mm-hmm. And then there are some people who think that it's going to just kind of bounce along. It'll get a little bit better, it'll get a little bit worse, it'll get a little bit better, it'll get a little bit worse. I think the truth is, at least based on, and believe me, I'm no expert here, but from what I've read and, and seen that, um, uh, we, we can effectively contain this, um, and, uh, get back to some semblance of, uh, normalcy in our lives if we, uh, wear masks in public, uh, you know, attend to, um, a good hand hygiene. Uh, keep our distance uh, in situations where you may not be able to wear a mask or or you're in, in, in going to be with somebody for an extended period of time. Um, and uh, for God's sakes, get a flu shot um, when they become available because uh, the last thing we want is a flu pandemic on top of a COVID pandemic. Um, so um, uh, I think... You know, th- th- I, I'm reasonably optimistic that those things can work. Uh where I get nervous is when I see people completely ignoring all of those recommendations and um uh and, and that could have serious consequences for all of us. Sure.
0: So our next question, um is it safe to exercise with a mask if you have um reduced heart function?
2: Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. I, I um I think this is. Uh, I'm going to revert to the kind of advice I give to all of my patients about exercise, which is that um, nobody should be exercising to the point where they feel uncomfortable. Uh, right. So I think exercise is great. Uh, exercise is important. It's good for your heart. It's good for uh, uh, your general overall health. But that doesn't mean exercising to exhaustion. It doesn't mean exercising. To uh, uncomfortable symptoms. What appeal to uh, people's sense of community and, and decency that? Uh, it's the same as what I was saying about the mask. The mask is not for you. The mask is for the people around you. Um, and, uh, I, you know, the, the, it, it, it's, I, I think it's it's appealing to people's sense of uh, responsibility to their loved ones and a sense of responsibility to their communities. Unfortunately, that's not terribly persuasive for a lot of people, but... I, I I can't think of a a more compelling argument or or reasoning than that. Right. At some point, you have to appeal to the greater good. Yeah, well, that's exactly right.
1: Um, And then another question, which is kind of the flip side of that question, which is, um, how do I deal with a family member who's over 65 has heart disease and isn't taking COVID seriously?
2: Yeah. You know, so that is, is that, that is uh, a, a similar, but uh, d- distinct question.
0: <laughs> I'm back. Sorry, PG.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <All right>, no, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, no, I mean, I've, I've heard this from, from family and, and friends as well. And um, I, I, I don't have a good answer to that. I mean, I, I think it, it, You know, unfortunately, we live in a society where um, uh, even what should be objective information somehow can become uh, polarizing. Um, So I I think the best you can do is lay out the facts for people that people who are over 65, who do have uh, chronic medical conditions um, are at higher risk for complications if they get this disease. And, you know, uh, you can, maybe you could appeal to their sense of their obligation to their, to their family, to, you know, their, to their children or to their grandchildren or to their uh, their neighbors, but... Uh, That's the exact conversation
1: I've been having with my mother.
0: Yeah, it's tough, <laughs> it's really tough. Yeah. Well, we are actually like right at the very end of our time here. Um, I, I do appreciate all of your answering the questions, um, and Dr. Nash. And I didn't know that you were a celebrity. So tell us a little bit about your radio show.
2: Yeah. So uh, thank you for giving me a chance to to shamelessly plug that. Um, so, um, yeah, I've, I've been fortunate to be the host of a, uh, uh, health and well-being radio show done in collaboration with um, the uh, Hofstra-Northwell School of Medicine. Um, so the, the website is medicine.hofstra.edu slash wellsaid, uh, or you could just Google well Said" with Dr. Ira Nash. Uh, we have a podcast that is uh, basically the radio show recordings. You can subscribe to that on Stitcher, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. We've done a whole host of extra shows about COVID-19, about, I I think I've lost track of how many we did, but they're all on our website. Um, And we've dealt with every aspect of this disease that you can imagine from uh, its effect on uh, pregnant women, children, the elderly, uh, healthcare delivery in general. Um, So uh, check it out, subscribe, and uh, uh, thanks uh, for listening this afternoon. So we've just uh, sent that
1: link out in the chat and uh, we'll also include it, we'll do a follow up email to everyone that's registered here um, and have a link to the show there. So I would encourage you if you enjoyed uh, Dr. Nash's insights today to really tune in. His, uh, his show is really wonderful and very accessible and uh, I can see why you got that award for bringing <laughs> that level of humanity to, to the profession.
0: I also um, want to say a big thank you for your service as a vet. Um, means a well, lot. And I think
1: I well, that. Yeah. Uh, we have a couple of other resources that are available. We'll uh, provide links to all of these as well. Both some general COVID resources for people with, um, with uh, about more about heart health, as well as some of the latest on um, what the research is telling us and the findings so far. And as, as Dr. Nash explained that this is uh, a evolving science where we're learning more every day. So I encourage you to check out some of these resources. Um, Also on MedicAlert, we have links to these things in our resource center and have pulled out resources specifically for people that are living with different chronic conditions Mm -hmm. and um, helping you really understand what that means in light of COVID-19. Um, so we've tapped into some very trusted sources here, and we hope you'll take advantage of that. If you enjoyed today, um, you can check out replays from some of our recent healthy hours. Uh, wonderful session a couple of weeks ago about diabetes. We've covered asthma and allergies, uh, Alzheimer's disease, and some more general autism, some other things that they relate, so encourage you to check those out. And uh, in two weeks, uh, we have a special guest, Dr. Paul Puri. Um, he's a psychiatrist, and you know, 2020. I mean, <laughs> if this is the year to talk about mental, this is the year to talk about mental health. I don't know when about- it won't be right. Like we have, you know, uh, all sorts of things going on in the world, and so we're talking with Dr. Puri about uh, mental health.
0: So I encourage
1: you to join us.
0: Great. So um, please hang on for a quick survey. We'd really like to hear about your experience, what you thought about that today. And please don't forget to update your medical alert record. It's really important that we have the most up-to-date current information in an emergency, because that's the information that we provide on your behalf. So if you don't mind answering our survey questions, that would be great.
1: I'm seeing a lot of comments in the chat. Uh... Dr. Nash, just letting you know that, uh, that your insights and help here is much appreciated and uh, your, your ability to cut through and uh, be, provide just very clear answers is really, really helpful to a lot of people. So thank you so much for participating with us today.
2: My pleasure, thanks for the opportunity.
1: Great, All
0: right. we appreciate you very much. All
1: right, bye-bye. thanks everyone,
0: stay safe. Stay safe, bye-bye.